Well, uh, I am excited because not only are we doing a wrap-up of Nehemiah, but it's a, a family meeting, so uh, I did my best to wear my Mr. Rogers sweater. Um, I actually didn't realize that until today, and then I was like, hey, that's kind of like Mr. Rogers-esque. If you don't know who he is, you can Google him, and uh, you can find out who Mr. Rogers was, and that's, that'll be kind of fun for you. And you're going like, why did kids watch that? So uh, it was cool. Mr. That was great. Um, anyway, uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's Bibles at the end of your rows, and you could follow along with us uh, this morning. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, about being able to share with you guys and um, being able to uh, also receive some of the questions uh, that you may have during the service all right, so five months uh, going through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, turn with me to Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 as we kind of go through some things. Uh, but before I do, I just ask the question, what have we learned along the way? Um, I, I always hoped that as a teacher, at the final exam of the class, uh, when I would give these cumulative finals after a unit, that it shows that the students have learned something. And, and I pray that for us as a body of Christ that we would look back and say, okay, there are some things that we have grown in, uh, some ways that, uh, that we've grown closer to God, and some things that we've learned. So today we will be reviewing some of the lessons from uh, our, our brother Nehemiah, the things that God had shown him and uh, brought us through. And then we are also going to look back at what God has done and uh, his faithfulness and look forward to new things the Lord wants to do in us and through us. Uh, so once again, uh, if you want to text the questions in, um, it's uh, 831, it's 2220632. Um, don't be like me. Uh, when I have my smartphone on and I want to do one thing, I see all these notifications that pop up, and I'm so ADD that when I look at my smartphone, all of a sudden, I just wanted to look up someone's number, and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm Googling, like, you know, uh, the 49er strategy for next season and who they're going to draft, and like, how did I get there? And just, that, that's how it goes. So, uh, anyhow, this morning, uh, Nehemiah, the title of the message is Regeneration, and uh, the reason why I, I wrote it this way is... Um, the theme of Nehemiah is a restoration of God's people. It's a rebuilding of the walls. And what God is doing is he's regenerating his people. Now, we know this as believers, that the Holy Spirit regenerates us. Apart from the Holy Spirit, Jesus said this, um, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the only way that we're born again is by God's Spirit. So this morning, as a family meeting, I'm excited. If you're here as a guest, then welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you. And uh, I think that one of the best ways to find out uh, a little bit more about a family is to, to listen to a family meeting. Uh, what we do as a family, personally, is that at the beginning of the year, we sit at our dining table. And uh, we just kind of pray and look at what have we learned the last year, how has God blessed us, and what is some direction for the, the new year? Where is God leading us? Where are some areas where we want to grow? And so regeneration is understanding, first of all, that it's God's Spirit that regenerates us, but it's also about generations. In Psalm 145, it says that one generation will proclaim his works to another. And that's what we want to do. We want to be at a place where this generation of God's people is proclaiming God's work to another generation. So we want to proclaim and, and share those things that we've learned, the things that we've been through, so that other people can glean from those things. Also, when it comes to Nehemiah, it's important to realize that Jerusalem is this incredible city that God had set up. And as he set it up, um, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, the Psalms of Ascent are always about going up to Jerusalem. I don't know if you realize this, but Jerusalem actually receives snow at certain parts during the winter. And if you've ever seen um, pictures of Jerusalem covered with snow, it's a really cool thing. It doesn't happen often, but it happens once in a while. But the city that is set on a hill, when Jesus is explaining to this in the Sermon on the Mount, there were these cities called tells. That's what it's called, a tell. And up on the hill, you could see it afar off because there weren't street lights. And in the din, uh, without the din of the, the street lights, you could see that city 
um, is a, a beacon. It's a place to go to. It's a place where people can come. It's really a, a city of refuge as well. Jesus wants us to be a city that is set on a hill. Um, in other words, he said not to hide our lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand. In other words, so people can see that. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So really, that's a big part of what Jerusalem was. It represented God's relationship with his people, this covenant, and how God's people live together. How do we live together in, in community? So restoring the people, rebuilding the city is the theme. And this morning, as we look back at Nehemiah chapter 1, God had called Nehemiah to pray, to prepare, and to plan. What happened was Jerusalem and Israel, they didn't follow the Lord. They disobeyed his commandments. They set up idols. They started worshiping other gods. And as they started to do this, God said, now here's the warning. If you do this, then you're not going to be able to stay in this place. I'm going to take you out of the land. I'm going to raise up another group of people and they're going to come and, and they're going to be my instrument that I'm going to use to, to discipline you. And they didn't listen. They turned away. Eventually what happened is uh, the, the northern ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdoms, they were assimilated into Assyria. They were utterly wiped out, never to come back into existence as a nation. The southern two kingdoms of Judah and Benjamin, uh, they didn't obey the Lord, but God sent them to Babylon. And then while they were in Babylon, God sent these waves of people to return. And these waves of people, first of all, was led by Zerubbabel, then another guy named Ezra, and then this guy named Nehemiah. So let me explain this. Nehemiah in chapter 1 is in Babylon, and he's praying. And he asks his brother who comes to Babylon, he says, What's going on with Jerusalem? What are the people like? What's happening in the city? Think about it if you were gone. You're in another country. And then you're saying, hey, what, what's going on in, in California? You know, what's going on in the United States? What, what's happening there right now? Or what's happening in my city in, in Santa Cruz or Scotts Valley or Aptos? What's going on there? And they say, oh, man, the city's changed. It's different now. And now 70 years have gone by. And the city is destroyed. The walls are broken down. You know, when I go back to Southern California, I go back to West Covina where I grew up, um, some parts of the city are being renovated, but it's an older city in which there are parts of the city that are, when I was a kid, it was like brand new. And now it's pretty dilapidated. There are places that need some reconstruction, some, some rebuilding. When Nehemiah hears of this, Jerusalem is a city that represented God's presence so it grieves him not only for the city, but it grieves him for God's reputation and for that being a place where people can come and say, this is what God is like. And so Nehemiah, what does he do? He begins to fast. Um, he doesn't run to the battle. And one of the things we've learned is that before we just jump into something, we should pray, right? Before we just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Let's seek the Lord. God, what is it that you want to do? Nehemiah fasts. He prays. And as he does this, he also plans. So if God's going to do a work in your life, maybe, maybe some of you are in high school and next year you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Yes, pray, but let me tell you something else. Plan. Ask God to bless those plans. Ask God to show you what to do. Maybe you're in a new city. You're, you're new to the church. Maybe, maybe God is just doing a new work in your life. And what is God going to do in 2013 and you know, sometimes as Christians, we can suffer the, the paralysis of analysis. We're so over-analytical that we don't want to take a step. It's pray and it's plan. So they're doing both. So that by the time um, King Artaxerxes says to Nehemiah, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah tells him, give me wood. Give me leave. Give me, give me men to build. Give me permission to go into Jerusalem. Uh, protect us. Give us a guard. Give us a letter that's signed. And so he has this plan because as he's been praying, he's also been planning. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we looked at being private before God. Nehemiah didn't tell it, uh, any of the people that were with him the things that God had put in his heart to do until God told him, now it's time to share the vision. Maybe God has put something in your heart and before you begin to share it, 
just continue to pray and say, Lord, is it your timing? So he was private before God. Uh, he surveyed the walls. Uh, one of the things that, um, that I was excited about when we moved over here, uh, we, we get those um, Groupon deals once in a while, you know, in, in our email. And I got this one Groupon deal, and uh, the Groupon deal was a, a historical uh, tour of Santa Cruz, a walking tour. So we were going to do it when my daughter Rebecca was back, and she was going to be here for uh, her break, but um, schedule-wise it didn't work. It, so that's today. So if I take off a little bit early, it's just we have a walking history tour today. And, and the reason why I like doing stuff like that is um, I like thinking about how a city, how a county, how something came into existence I remember when we moved into Gilroy, I bought one of those old books at Costco, and, and it's those black and white photos, and I'm fascinated by that. I'm looking at downtown Gilroy and, and that street, the main street is called Monterey, and I'm looking at Monterey, and I'm going, man, I recognize some of those buildings. I, I recognize some of this. I, I did this with my daughter. We went to Natural Bridges, and we went to um, the museum there, and, and we were looking at these books, and, and you know how there's those, those natural bridges <laughs> that are there? There used to be a lot more, didn't there? But the erosion, and so I look at it, and, and what Nehemiah is doing when he surveys the walls of, of Jerusalem, he's walking around the city and he's going, man, people used to live here. God's presence was here. This was the place that people used to worship. This was the entryway in which the sheep, the sheep gate, this is where people would bring their, their sacrifices. And I think that sometimes God has us take a survey of our own lives. He has us not looking back to be so nostalgic that we don't want to go forward, but to learn from our, our past. What has God done? How did we end up where we are? How has God been faithful even when I've been faithless? How has God shown himself to me? That's what Nehemiah does. And then in chapter 3, now it's the plan. It's the division of labor. Who's going to do what? And the thing I love about Nehemiah chapter 3 is that Everybody was building. In construction, everybody was building. And they were all building, even the perfumers. And that was kind of funny to me. Uh, perfumers don't seem like builders to me. You know, <laughs> I just, if you're a perfumer, I'm sorry. You know, maybe you are a builder, but I just didn't think of you as a builder. Um, and, and they have a trowel. You know, they're, they're building and they're, they're actually doing labor together. There's not only the, the perfumers, there's the those that work with metals and jewelry. And then there's the, the nobles. Even the nobles were getting involved. This would be like, can you imagine a hurricane hitting and all the, the Congress and all the Senate, they're working also. You know, not just in their office, but they're, they're actually doing it. Everyone's together. And then after this division of labor, all of a sudden there's opposition. Uh, the people were building next to their homes. And if you're going to build, it should begin in your home. Maybe you're thinking of, things that God uh, wants to do in your life, let it begin right where you are. Who do you know? What about your classroom? What about your, your family? What about your neighborhood? That's where they begin to build. But then these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, they come up and they start mocking and they start laughing and they go, and look at what you're trying to do. You act, do you actually think that God will bless you? And they start saying things like, even if an, a fox runs up on the wall, it's going, to, it's going to crumble. And then they start to threaten Nehemiah and the people, saying, if you keep doing this, then we're going to try to kill you. And letters and rumors and all of these things start swirling around. And the thing that happens is Nehemiah says, we can't stop this great work. So from that point in time, everyone had a tool and a sword. That means that they kept working. And so there's building and battling. Now, let me explain what this looks like in our own lives. Um, some of you are going through trials. And, and our trials that we go through, whether they're relationship trials, depression, um, addictions in our own lives, financial trials, we, we go through difficulty. But in the middle of that, God doesn't want the building to stop. So these are my personal battles. And sometimes I have this tendency to just want to fight the battle and just drop out of ministry, drop out of building, drop out of ministering to others. Because I'm kind of licking my wounds and I'm having this pity party and that's kind of what I want to do. And God says, no, you need to get up and you need to keep building. And so it's building and battling. The blessing that comes 
is when you look to your right and you look to your left and there's people that are building and battling with you. Because that helps you, doesn't it? When you're not the only one and you're not alone. And that's what Nehemiah chapter 4 taught us. Nehemiah chapter 5, um, it, it was about being faithful and generous. Nehemiah, it says a few times in the book of Nehemiah, and it's one of the reasons why I love Nehemiah. It says he became very angry. And um, I think that there are times that we should be angry and not sin. But Nehemiah, there was something that provoked his spirit. Um, do you remember that when Paul was walking and there was a girl behind him saying, follow these guys, they're telling you the way of the Lord. And it says Paul being greatly annoyed. You know, she was a demon-possessed girl. And Paul's saying, we don't need that kind of publicity. The reason why I share that with you is that sometimes when it comes to being faithful and being generous, we should get mad when people are being ripped off. Um, we should get angry when there's injustice. I think that if there's evil in this world and we don't get angry about it in some way, we don't say someone should do something about it. God, if there's anything you want me to do, then, then you know what? We're being selfish and we're just being complacent. Nehemiah led by example. The Jewish uh, people that, that came in, they were ripping off some of their brethren. The very poor people became slaves. And so they couldn't, th these indentured servants, and then some of them, it's their kids. Like, hey, I, I can't pay you the money I owe you. Here's my son. He could work on your farm. Here's my daughter. She could help you out. And they couldn't redeem their own children. When Nehemiah says it, it, it sees this, he becomes very angry. And he shows them what, that what they are doing is not right. So should we be concerned with other people? Should we, we be concerned with the poor? Absolutely. See, sometimes we could say, well, they, they deserve those things. Or, or, you know, that's kind of the lot in life that they were dealt. Or, or maybe it's because of past mistakes. And yet, I, I believe that the message of the gospel is that God came to needy people who could not earn anything. He came to us to rescue us. So yes, we need to teach in, in ways that that teach faithfulness and stewardship, but also Nehemiah led by example. He was very faithful and he was very generous. At the end of that chapter, Nehemiah was wealthy. And I don't want us to think of poor equals godly and wealthy equals ungodly. Nehemiah had a dinner at his house with, I think it was over 150 people. I can't fit 150 people. It says at, my, at his table. I can't fit 150 people at my table. We could fit eight. You know, that's kind of like, it's a pretty big table with eight. Nehemiah was wealthy, but he was a godly man that used that as stewardship to reach out to the city. And so it's important that we understand our finances are a part of who we are and how we deal with our finances shows our relationship to God. That's what Nehemiah chapter five taught us. And then Nehemiah chapter 6, it was fight or flight. When they start to threaten Nehemiah and they tell him to give up and they try to oppose through ridicule, sometimes the enemy opposes through ridicule. Oh, look how religious you are. Oh, you're a Christian. You know, in, in our prayer this morning, someone was talking about uh, talking to some uh, older people that, that they said, oh man, we're so thankful we're not so stupid to believe in God at our age. You know, we've already learned. And, and sometimes opposition can come through ridicule. Sometimes opposition, it, it comes through intimidation. And so they tried to intimidate Nehemiah. And they said, why don't you just stop this work? Why don't you get out of here? Why don't you go back to Babylon? Just leave our, our town. And Nehemiah says something. I don't believe it's arrogance. In Nehemiah 6.11, he, he said, should such a man as I flee... And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. What they're saying to him is stop building. Just go into the temple. Just run away from the problem. And Nehemiah says, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to run away from the problem. This morning, are there problems that you're facing that maybe in fear you haven't faced up to? See, those are things that confront me. When I look at my own life and I realize some things I would just rather ignore. I would just rather go to church, go to the temple, and just pray and worship and just run from the problem and not deal with it. Now, we are to run to God, right, as our refuge, but he doesn't tell us to stay in the temple. We're to go outside of the temple, and we're to minister, and we're to do the hard things. And some of you have some hard things that you need to deal with, and you probably know what those things are, 
and you probably know what you're supposed to do. I think that's usually how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We probably know what most of those things are, and most of the time we know what we're supposed to do. And Nehemiah says, I'm not going to run. Then in Nehemiah chapter 7, it was about being citizen soldiers. This concept, the notion that citizens have an obligation to defend their community from uh, other nations and from invaders, both foreign and domestic. And it was understood in the book of Nehemiah chapter 7 that all of the citizenry, they all understood they were a part of it. If you go back to Israel today, did you know that every citizen, when they are 16 years old, must enter into military training. And uh, they have to enter in for a couple of years. I think it's two years for the girls and three years for the men. And then they could stay longer than that. But they're all trained. And the reason why they're all trained is because there's nations all around them that want to wipe them out. And it, I was amazed. At taking a tour of, of Jerusalem, there was a little field trip. And there were two teachers, this this petite little, you know, five-foot girl and, uh, you know, young lady teaching probably maybe 20 years old, maybe 22 at the most. And she, she has this submachine gun. And it's just, that's how they, that's how they roll. You know, it's, she's licensed to carry. She had military training and she's protecting these kids. Now, um, I know I, I might, you know, don't, don't get hijacked on this right now. Don't, don't go in this different direction. The thing I'm trying to point out is this, they all had a stake in preserving their liberties and rights as a society following after God. And the thing is, is that in the book of Nehemiah, it teaches us that as citizens in the kingdom of God, all of us are involved. If there's a battle going on, and I don't know that there's a battle going on, I'm just losing. I'm still in it. And there's a spiritual battle that happens all around us. And if we don't realize that, we're still in it. It doesn't matter if we realize it or not. We're just losing if we don't even realize it. It says... Jesus talked about in John chapter 10 that the thief comes only to rob, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Do you think when you watch the news today that there's a real evil in this world that wants to rob and kill and destroy? Absolutely. So what are we to do? We're to proclaim life. We're to share God's love. We're to share the gospel with people, not just to keep that to ourselves. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we're all involved. Chapter 8, bring out the book, Ezra the Priest. Um, I, I love the ministry of Billy Graham over the years. You, you realize that he has been in the Oval Office during wars. The Billy Graham has literally sat in the sofa in the Oval Office as troops are going into battle, praying with the presidents, advising them. Ezra the Priest was like this, this national spokesman that God used for the nation of Israel. And in Nehemiah chapter 8, he opens up the Bible and he begins to preach. He begins to teach the people. And then they take it and then they, they explain it and they make sense of it at their ages. That's why we have children meeting in the children's ministry. So things can be explained to them at their level and at their age. But as the word of God goes forth in any revival that lasts, you see that it, God's word is a central part of that. Then in Nehemiah chapter 9, um, Ezra teaches about history. It's all his story. It's all the story of God. We just kind of fit in it somewhere. We might look at it as our biography, but really it, we're just a small piece of the puzzle in, in God's picture. And so they go back into their history of God's um, redemption and what God wants to do. Chapters 10 and 11, we looked at pioneers and settlers. There was a need for one-tenth of the people to move back into the city. So when God calls us as pioneers, that means that we do a, a new thing that's difficult. But settlers, they help build. Settlers help um, the city function. Settlers bring infrastructure. So if God has called you to pioneer a new work, maybe it's a ministry, uh, some new aspect of of your job, something that you're doing. You might be at the beginning of that, but other people sometimes keep it going over the years. And so we looked at how we have roles as pioneers and settlers and how we have to allow God to choose for us. Where do you want to send us? And when we do that, do you think God wants to bless us? Do you think, do you think God wants to bless you? He does. 
Should we be afraid of saying, God, send me wherever you want to send me? No. So why are we afraid of that? Because I think at the heart of it, it's a trust issue. Do I really trust that God has my best interest in mind and he wants to bless me? So pioneers and settlers. And then in chapter 12, it was the joy of sacrifice. Blessing comes when we lean into it. If we are in the background, just kind of like following God from a distance, that's when Peter backslid. It says he began to follow Jesus at a distance. When we begin to follow at a distance and we're not close to God, we're not drawing near to him, then what ends up happening is our joy is gone. And we think, well, how come I don't have any joy? And, and so that joy comes when we draw near to God, when we draw close to God, when we, when we really obey God. And obedience is a, a bad word today. No one wants to hear the word obey. It was kind of weird for me when I became a Christian. The first time that I sang that song, it, there was a song called, uh, I, I just remember part of the lyrics, it said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than when we trust and obey. And I, I was singing it until like I got to the obey part, and that kind of rubbed against me a little bit. And as a new believer, I was kind of learning that that, that was new, a new concept, that I show my love for God by obedience but it's in obedience to God's word that I get blessed. It, it's kind of like as a parent, if you want the best things for your kids, then if they listen to you, then they'll be blessed, right? And if they don't, then they won't. And in the same way, God, God does that for us. And so there was a joy of sacrifice. Then we looked at being teammates, brothers and sisters. Uh, there were the priests and the Levites. It was kind of like the elders and the deacons. Also, there were, there were leaders of families that those leaders of families had a, they had a great impact for generations. That's the whole thing about regeneration. I want to have an impact. I just had a talk with my, my sons not too long ago. And in the talk, we were going through Proverbs. And I said, the things that I'm sharing with you, my hope and my prayer is that it affects my grandkids and their kids. So I'm not just telling this to you for you. It is for you. But I'm thinking that I'm praying that when you are my age and if, Lord willing, you have kids, that you remember some of these things and you start telling that to your kids and that they remember those things and tell it to their kids. So this is like a, a four-generation thing that we're doing right here. And that's the whole story of Nehemiah chapter 12. Um, to, to not compromise is chapter 13. You know, tolerance versus compromise. Uh, tolerance means new things today. And so we have to understand that we are to love people and be patient with them. And yet, in the midst of it, uh, we're to hold fast to God's truth. And then, finally, marriage, rest, and worship. Um, Nehemiah chapter 13 ends with Nehemiah being gone for 12 years, 7 to 12 years, depending upon um, you know, which commentary and which historian you read. When he comes back to Jerusalem, he finds out even though they had made this covenant to God, in 12 years, they went back right back to the same things that they were doing. Maybe you could look back to 12 years ago. That was like turn of the, I was going to say turn of the century, is turn of the millennium. Remember the turn of the millennium? You know, when 2000 hit, you know, where have you come from since 2000? Ha has there been faithfulness? Have you grown? Or can I look back at 2000 and say, maybe in 2000, I was more faithful. Maybe I've gone away from that covenant with God. And so the way that worship of God is seen, it's seen in our relationships. And, and I want to be sensitive to this understanding that we come to Christ at different points of time in our lives. We have different experiences, but the standards that God sets up for relationships and marriage are, are things that God sets up for our benefit. And maybe you could look back and you think, well, I've made some mistakes. Maybe, uh, maybe you're a victim. Maybe you realize you've been uh, not the victim, but the the one that has hurt someone else. At this point in time, it's a good time to turn back to God and say, God, heal, God, restore, God, change my life. Because that's what Nehemiah 13 was. When he comes back, he's saying, look, you're not even teaching your kids about the things of God. They, they didn't teach them the Hebrew language and they couldn't understand um, the Bible as it was being taught back then. And he's saying, this thing is not good. You need to look at your relationships. Um, you need to look at your marriage relationships. And, and remember, when it comes to worship of God, 
Um, I, I believe this, that sex is one of the biggest religions in America today. And let me explain that. If a religion, um, a religion in general means what we worship, that means what we think is valuable, it affects how we vote, it, affect, it affects our friendships, it affects what is important to us, I think that sex is a huge religion today. There are people that worship at computers. There are people that say, I'm just going to live my life how I want to live it. And yet God says, your sexuality is a part of my relationship with you. So that even in that area, you're not saying, God, this is my area. You can have these other areas, but this area is mine. No, it's all the Lord's. And so in Nehemiah 13, he deals with that. He also deals with our time. Our time is God's. How do I spend time? Not just Sunday mornings. I'm talking about how do I spend the rest of my days? How do I spend the rest of my, my time? I, and I don't mean to say this, that we're all to be this, you know, all day long, you know, walking around and just, I have a Bible open and, uh, you know, a phylactery on my head and, you know, I'm worshiping that. No, I'm saying that it should live in us and through us so that in, in our conversations, in uh, how I work, my work ethic, in, in entertainment, and in rest, all of those things should be redeemed for the Lord. And then worship, heart, mind, soul, worshiping God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus talked about uh, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, also in the book of Deuteronomy. And so that's an overview of Nehemiah, but this brings us to where we are today in these next 20 minutes or so. Um, how do we apply this as a church and, and what does this mean for, for us personally? I think there's been a lot of application. But I, part of this family meeting and looking back is to remember the, the city of Jerusalem. If you look at the diagram, um, the, the square kind of above it is what Jerusalem became. But in Nehemiah's time, it was more like that, uh, almost like the shape of the state of Florida. That was Jerusalem. And if you looked around Jerusalem, there were... There were these different gates. And remember that Jerusalem was a place that was to represent God's presence, where people can come and, and worship and say, okay, this is, this is what God is like. And I look at this map of, of Santa Cruz County, and I think that, you know, Santa Cruz means Holy Cross. And uh, I think that people um, think about Santa Cruz as anything but, you know, Holy Cross, so when we consider where we live and where we minister in this county, in this place, how does God use us not only to build in our own lives and in our family, but to influence this community? Because God has called us beyond the walls of a church, right? He, he hasn't called us to leave. You know, in, in our society today, people say that's a private thing. Um, I remember when Deanna and I went uh, whitewater rafting one time, this tour guide he said, uh, we're on the bus, and he goes, hey, everybody, we're going to party. We're going to have a great time on the river. There's two things we don't talk about, politics and religion. Everyone's like, ah, everyone's like cheering. And, and basically, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious guy. It's, it's a relationship with Christ. And yet, when we look at our society today, they say, hey, you know what, keep that to yourself. But we can't help but to live out the principles of God's kingdom. There was a post um, by a guy named Donald Miller who wrote the book Blue Like Jazz. That He just wrote this article. It came out last week, um, and it said, uh, the name of the article, the title of it was Why I Don't Share My Faith Publicly. And uh, he talked about how uh, Jesus said, don't let your le left hand know what your right hand is doing. He talked about how um, one of the things that Jesus said when you pray, don't sound a trumpet, you know, don't, uh, uh, don't make a meaningless repetition to be heard by people. You know, do those things, go to your prayer closet. Do I agree with all of that? Absolutely. Who said it? Jesus. So I agree, okay? Um, but Jesus also said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they might see the works that you do and give glory to God. Now, here's a question. How is someone going to give glory to God if I simply do good works but never open my mouth to tell them what my motivation is? I could win the Nobel Peace Prize in doing something great in, in philanthropy. But if I never open my mouth, some people aren't going to give glory to God. They're going to give glory to me. They're going to say, what a great, look what he's doing. Look at all these uh, things. And so God has called us, yes, to do the actions, 
but also to share the motivation behind it. And, and it all deals with motivation. Do I do it to be seen by men? If we do, then as a church, then, then we're missing it. As a, a Christian, we're missing it. It's to give glory to God. It's so that we have a platform and an opportunity so that people want to know what we know because they see how much we care. Maybe you've heard that said before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So it's both. It's sharing the gospel with our actions, and it's sharing the gospel with our words. Um, Part of the vision is that uh, a city on a hill, Santa Cruz County, is an amazing and diverse community. Yet within that community is a church, which is ecclesia, uh, ecclesia, the gathering of people that has responded to the good news that Jesus came and died for our sin to restore our broken fellowship with God. So we are uh, a church, we are an ecclesia that responds to God's great love by following him and loving others. It's our hope that as God's spirit changes us and we live according to his word, it draws others to follow him along with us. Really, that's, that's our vision, that's our our goal. That's what God has called us to do and to be. The purpose of the church, um, the great commission, and, and notice the word commission. What does co mean? Together or with. Jesus calls it the great commission because it's his mission to reach this world. But then he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations and to preach the gospel. That means it's not just our mission, it's his mission. And that's why in Matthew chapter 28, that verse that we all know he will never leave us or forsake us. What's the context of that? Is as we are going and proclaiming the good news to people and making disciples, Jesus says, I'm with you. That's why it's called the Great Commission. I'm with you when it's hard. I'm with you when it's, I'm with you when you're fearful. I'm with you even when you mess up. I'm with you even when you feel like I don't love you. I'm with you even when you don't feel like I'm there. I'm still with you as you're going about and proclaiming this message to other people. The purpose of the church, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, it says, I'm going to read this from the NLT, the New Living Translation. I like the way that that the NLT kind of gives the gist of this. It says, now these are, are gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, what is the responsibility? To equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So what is the purpose of the church? It's, it's also the equipping of the saints. That's you guys. That's all of us, right? Um, maybe you think, well, I'm not a saint. If you're born again, if you've been saved by Christ, the Bible calls us saints, and it's the equipping. That's what we're doing on Saturday. That's why it's not only for quote-unquote leadership. This is for believers because we're all to be equipped. Do you know what you believe? Do you know why you believe it? Are you able to give an answer to the hope that is in you? How do we share the gospel conversationally, naturally in relationship? How do we resolve conflicts? How do we know when the Holy Spirit is telling us to do something and go a certain direction? Those are some of the things that we are going to look at on on Saturday. But it's this equipping of the saints, and that's the purpose of the church. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the model for the church. Now in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has just fallen upon them in Acts chapter 2. And in verse 42, one verse in particular that we are uh, going to look at, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. When we consider this model for the church in Acts, this is 224, it's because my uh, <laughs> backwards mind sometimes, um, the apostles' doctrine. What is that? That's being biblical. Uh, one of the characteristics of the church, Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, is that we want to be biblical. So that when we teach at preschool level all the way to the seniors, unless we base our fellowship on something that is true, we have, we have just basically opinion. 
And so we want to be biblical. That's why doctrine is important. Some people say, well, I just don't get into doctrine. You know, I just want to love Jesus. Well, a lot of people say that, but they mean a lot of different things by it. What is doctrine? Doctrine is a foundational understanding of who God is. It's, it's teachings about God. It's theology. The next thing is fellowship. We want to be a relational. That means that people that serve in ministry are not just cogs in machinery. Um, yeah, I look, at, I look at the sports world today, and, it, and they always say it's a business. We understand it's a business. But the teams that really play together, even though it's a business, they have some camaraderie, don't they? There is something, as hard as it is kind of for me to say, because I've raised in L.A. as a Dodger fan, the Giants last year, they displayed some team camaraderie where it wasn't so much about superstars. Even one of the superstars was on steroids, and they suspended him. And even after that, they said, no, you're done for the season. And they still were able to win the World Series. And if people can do that for something like a game, how much more should we as believers do that for something of eternal value? See, you could play together to win a, a championship and say, well, I just don't like him. You know, remember Kobe and Shaq? Again, Laker fan. Um, Kobe and Shaq, if you're not a basketball person, they, they were these two superstars that hated each other but were able to get along and play because they wanted a common goal to win a championship. God has called us to proclaim the gospel, but as believers, he said this, people will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. In relationship, that community is what God desires to build. The breaking of bread, uh, the Lord's Supper, there's communion. It's where our relationship, again, it's still relational, but it's with God. Uh, our relationship to God is regularly uh, affirmed. We remember the covenant. We remember why Jesus came. It also reminds us of the second coming because Jesus said, I'm, we're not going to partake uh, like this again um, until I come in my kingdom. So it always proclaims um, Jesus is coming back. And then there were prayers. Prayer is the expression of our dependence upon God. So let me ask you this. What is the expression of our independence of God that we don't need him? If prayer is the expression of our dependence upon God, it's a lack of prayer. If we are not in prayer, what we're declaring is that, God, we're really not dependent upon you. We could do this on our own. And part of what we want to do, we've, we started out, um, five months ago, just having prayer on Wednesday nights. And then we went through these 21 days of prayer to kind of start this new year. And then um, on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., I just invite you to come out. It's just, it, it kind of feeds the, um, the spirit and, and it empowers us to do the ministry that God has called us to do. And then personal prayer, there's private prayer, there's, there's fasting. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that you see in the book of Acts and, and let me explain it this way. Depending upon your background, how many of you were raised? Um, how many of you were raised in a more charismatic or Pentecostal background? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you were raised maybe in a Catholic background? All right. How many of you were raised where religion really wasn't a part of your family or your upbringing? Okay. And then how many of you were raised maybe in a Christian church, but? Um, the outward manifestation of gifts of the Spirit were something that weren't talked about or weren't taught in your church. All right. We are very diverse. Did you guys just see that? We are super diverse in our background and understanding of this. Come from all kinds of backgrounds. And uh, I think that sometimes as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't start judging other Christians and doing that chant like in a stadium, we've got the Spirit, yes we do, we've got the Spirit, how about you? And we judge other people based on do they have that same experience that we have. It's not as important what you call it as much as it is important that you have it. And that is the experience of the overflowing of the Holy Spirit in your life. We are to be filled with overflowing, which means as we surrender to God and we open ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives, we say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Do your work through us. We want all of the gifts and all of the fruit that you have to offer. And then as we exercise those things, we do those things in love, not judging others that might have a little bit of a variance of how they see those things. But as a family, we're open to the Holy Spirit's working and moving. 
And then evangelism. Um, prior to verse 42, you see the Lord, uh, a great evangelistic crusade as Peter preaches. But then later on at the end of the chapter, it says that they, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Evangelism is necessary. Um, Greg Laurie has said this before. He goes, we either evangelize or we fossilize. And, and I want to share with you, if you know who Penn and Teller is, uh, they're these comedians in Las Vegas um, this incredible video of, of one of them, he said, you know, he's an atheist. He said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that there is a God. He said, but one of my fans, after our show, he gave me this. And he held it up because it's a, it's a Gideon's Bible. He goes, you ever see these in the hotel? And he said, and the, he goes, the thing that blew me away is that he, he met with me. And uh, he showed me that he cared about me. He was sincere. And then he said, hey, if you ever are in town again, uh, I'll treat you out to dinner. And he said, here's my phone number. And by the way, here's this, this Bible. It really means a lot to me. And, and, and this is Penn and Teller. He actually opens it up. He goes, I, I actually see he highlight, highlighted some verses for me to read. And he told me these are some key scriptures to understand. And he goes, the poor guy is lost. He doesn't, you know, he believes in this fairy tale. And he said this. He said, but I have no respect for Christians that don't proselytize. He said, and let me tell you why I have no respect. He said, the guy that gave this to me actually believes this. And he said, and if you actually believe this, and he said this on TV, he said, if you actually believe this and don't tell me about it, how much must you hate me? He said, if a truck were coming behind me and it was going to hit me and you said, Hey, there's a truck. And I just kept walking. He said, no, a truck is coming. It's going to hit you. There's a truck. And I still don't listen. He said, at some point, you tackle me. And he said, and so while I don't believe this book, and I think this guy is misled, he said, I have no respect for Christians that don't proselytize. That blew me away. And, and if we really believe this, then how much must we not care about people, or maybe we care too much about our own reputation, what people are going to think about us, not to share the hope that is within us even at risk of them misunderstanding, even at risk of them saying you're religious or fanatical or whatever it is, you know why? It's because our motivation is because I love God and I'm thankful for what he's done for me, but also because I love you, because I want you to know that I love you. That's the most loving thing we could do. And, and then as we look back and we close in 2012, um, it has been a, a blessing to see God's provision. By provision, it's provision, which means um, it's not just God providing, but it's seeing ahead. God has given um, the leadership of the church some some great provision. I think that when it came to the remodel, if you've been here, maybe this is all new to you. You didn't know that this is, this is a remodel, and there was an upstairs at one point in time. And so if this is new to you, you're going, oh, wow, I didn't know that. I kind of like the setup as it is, and this is kind of cool, but there was a lot of other space. The remodel happened in order to be able to be sustainable in the building in which we are in. And so God gave wisdom to the leadership to be able to do that, and he also provided help. And a lot of you pounded nails and then took nails out and then pounded them somewhere else. And you know what? That's a blessing because that's part of God's provision. Um, there was a, a point in time where it was like a, a difficult thing, um, not being able to afford spending the money for the remodel and yet not being uh, able to afford not to. And so in 2012, one of the things we also see is that God changed some things. Um, in Isaiah 43, 18, it says, Do not call to mind the former things, nor ponder the things of the past. Behold, I'm going to do a new work. Will you not see it? And the Lord had given that scripture to me in 2012, but also to Bill Holdridge as a, a key scripture in his own life. And so what is birthed out of this? Part of it is Poiman ministry really going, um, you know, Pastor Bill is busy. He's not here this morning because he's ministering somewhere else. And he has... Um, not only God not only has him, but other pastors doing that. That's Poiman ministry. What's happening right now in Gilroy is that the church is thriving, and Justin is pastoring the church there, and the Lord has brought me over here, and, and I'm excited about the new things that God wants to do. Also in 2012, um, there were new ministries that were birthed. Uh, Westside Community Fellowship was birthed in 2012. Um, there were other ministries that were birth of just outreach and different things that God is doing. And yet, 
in 2012, we could be thankful for God's faithfulness. Change is a part of life. It happens. Sometimes I don't want to change. I, I, I long for the good old days. But guess what? What are we going to be saying years from now? Oh, those were the good old days. You know, it, it, we have this way of, of painting that picture at times, but through it all, God is faithful. And one of the things I'm thankful for is fellowship, um, knitting of hearts together. Um, I, I'm blessed at the fellowship of the saints that is here. I'm blessed at the relationships. I'm blessed how God has knit hearts together. And, um, and now as we go forward, these are some areas to grow as a church. Love. We could grow in love. Really, this unconditional love that says, I will reach out to people unconditionally. Um, and if we don't keep growing in love, then we stagnate. I do not ever want to be the church in Revelation chapter 2 of Ephesus, that they had right doctrine and they were doing good things, but they had left their first love. We could grow in our love for the Lord. I, I really hope and pray that worship draws us in, that there's times where we just want to linger in God's presence. I pray for a greater love for people. Um, I, I pray that God uh, wakes us up as a nation out of complacency and helps us to love people. We could grow in communication and community. By communication, um, it, it's talking. It's opening up doors to, to be able to talk about things. Uh, at family reunions, I don't know if you have any of those awkward relationships in your family at holidays once in a while, but there's some awkward relationships where sometimes people are together in the same room and don't talk. And it's the elephant in the room, and they just don't talk about it. You know, and they just have conflict that is undealt with. God hasn't called us to do that. We are the church. We are the ecclesia. We, we are the called out ones, which means the way that we do things should be different. So communication and community um, should grow. Outreach. Um, reaching out to people outside of the body of Christ. Not only come and see, but go and show. The average Christian in church has never led someone to Christ. Most Christians have never led someone to Christ. Now, if that's you, it's not a guilt trip. It's a thing of saying, don't leave that to me. Don't leave that to the professionals. Don't leave that to others. God has called each of us. And so we're going to have in March an equipping Sunday where someone comes and, and, and Don, uh, a pastor, a local pastor, is going to come and he's going to share about evangelism and how to reach out to people. So we need to grow in that. Discipleship. Um, in our lives, we should have Pauls and Timothys and Silases. Um, we should be making disciples. Jesus said that if we're going to make disciples, then we're going to be like him, right? Because a disciple is like the person he follows. What did Jesus do? He made disciples. So am I a disciple? Because if I'm really a disciple then what should I be doing? Making disciples. So it, it, it's, it's a misnomer to say I'm a disciple, but I don't make disciples. Because part of the definition of being a disciple is that we make disciples. And what does that mean? It means we spend time with people. There's relationship, there's discussion, there's growth, there's praying for people. Areas to grow, uh, regeneration. And by that, intergenerational ministry. I really believe that every 16-year-old should know some of the six-year-olds and some of the 60-year-olds. And we should minister one to another. It's not just the elderly ministering to the middle age, the middle age ministering to the young, the young ministering to the teens, the teens ministering to the junior high, but it goes the opposite way also. I glean from people that are younger than me. There are things in the way that they see things, and they're so gifted, and, and they see the world through a different lens. There's areas where I need to grow from a younger generation and so in an intergenerational ministry, yes, we still minister to people at their level, but we have to create opportunities for, um, you know, that cross-pollination between ministries where we're gleaning one from another. And then um, finally, we need to grow in grace and faith. What is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's being gracious of others. That means... Um, giving people the benefit of the doubt. That means expecting the best of them, helping them to grow. 
And it also means, like Chuck Smith did with the hippies, it means allowing people to do the things that God has called them to do and not think that you have to go to Bible college for four years before you could do anything. Part of grace means we are all unworthy. None of us is worthy. And so can I be used by God right now, today? Absolutely. And when I mess up, I need to be shown grace and I need to show other people grace. And then the last thing is faith. Ventures of faith, our goal should not be to be more comfortable. That should not be my goal for 2013, just to be comfortable. It should be, Lord, where do you want to work? Where do you want to move? And that we would be faithful. So in closing, um, it's probably going to spill over into uh, next week. Uh, because there were a lot of there are some other things that uh, we're not going to get a chance to get to, but um, this is what I would like to do. I'd like to close in a, a time of worship, but also if you have those text questions um, at Ecclesia on Saturday and also on Sunday, I'd like to answer some of those. Um, nothing has popped up right now. Bloop. There's no bloop. So because there's no bloop, um, we're just going to assume that that uh, you forgot the number, and uh, we'll, we'll post it up there, and it'll be up there more often. Uh, but what I'd like to do is to close in prayer, uh, to have the worship team come up, because one of the ways that we could respond to the Lord in looking back is, is God, what do you want to do? And, and respond in worship. Um, when it comes to uh, worshiping, I do want to point uh, one thing out. I will get there in financial stewardship. The last time we had a kind of family meeting when I first uh, got here, this is kind of October 27th. This was the graph that was shown. And uh, for some reason, when it goes onto an Apple computer, it uses a different uh, program than PowerPoint. So the graph looks a little different, but those represent months. Um, the last month there being September and below the line means negative and above the line uh, means positive. And then that last line is cumulative. As we were going towards an end, the end of 2012, um, I wanted to share at the height, the peak of the debt that we had to go into in order to rebuild because we needed to um, have the, our rent reduced and to move from upstairs to downstairs. The peak of the debt in 2012 was $26,000. And really, we were kind of upside down where most of the months, it was more was going out than was coming in. But I want to share this with you as we go into this time of worship as a praise report. Um, right now, the total in current incurred debt is zero. We have, we have zero debt. And uh, yeah, that's, that is a, a huge, huge blessing. Because it's not just about building a, a church and a building. There's a lot of ministry that I'm going to share next week and on Saturday as well. Things that I believe that God has put in our heart to do to do a lot more in affecting this community and affecting our world for Christ and uh, reaching out to people. Um, the, the great thing is that uh, right now, just so you know where we're at, um, our expenses um, and our income, our income exceeds our expenses uh, by a little bit less than $1,000 a month. So it's kind of right, right there. And uh, I've never been so happy to be at zero. You know, zero is a good thing, right? Because when you're below zero, you can't wait to get to zero. My wife and I had a thing one year where we were trying to get out of debt. We called it the quest for zero. It's just we just want to get to zero. Come on, zero, zero, zero. But you know what? I'm praying for, uh, I'm praying for abundance, that we could do a, a lot of things that God has called us to do. So anyhow, um, let's pray. And to worship the Lord. If you are visiting, you're never expected to give, or even if you, um, this is your home church, it's not an obligation thing as it, as it is a worship thing. Uh, we respond to God in worship by singing, by living our lives, by tithes and offerings, and we just commit these things to the Lord. So uh, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you because, God, you are the one that is faithful. Lord, you are the promise keeper. And Father, we thank you that in the, the past year, um, not only have we seen um, missions outside of our country supported, but Lord, even within our county. Lord, we thank you for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Lord, we thank you for Teen Challenge, uh, for Feed the Spirit, Lord, for um, different areas where you are ca calling us to reach out to the community around us. And God, we just want to say thank you, because when you provide for us, 
Uh, Lord, it enables us as, as well to do the things you've called us to do. I pray, Father, personally and as a church that we would be good stewards. Lord, that we would be generous and that we would also act in faith. And Father, I, I just thank you that we have an opportunity to worship you. Lord, um, we just come to you as, as we are. And uh, Lord, just as we are, we ask that you would cleanse us. God, we pray that uh, we could look back at 2012. And, and Lord, in my own life, I, I, there's some regrets, there's some mistakes, some things that I wish I could do differently. But Lord, through it all, I see the theme is, is your faithfulness. God, your unconditional love. I pray, Lord, for 2013, uh, this year, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would direct our church. Father, I pray for Ecclesia on Saturday. I ask that you would bless that. But Lord, I also pray that when it comes to our time, how we spend our time, how we spend our finances, that, Lord, we give you stewardship of those things. Um, Lord, we're your stewards, that we see that it's not ours, but it's yours. Lord, I also pray that the gospel would go forth. And, Lord, again, we started today praying for what's happening with uh, um, that ex-police officer in Southern California. But, Lord, that's only one incident. Father, there are tragedies all around us, and there are people all over this world, and, Lord, specifically where we live, that need to know you. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do a, a good job and help us to improve in the ways that we minister Help us to grow. Help us to be strengthened in depth and in uh, influence. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.